This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. I was excited. I was really like, oh my goodness, it's about time. I had a little feeling of joy and excitement just knowing like, yay, the movie industry finally sees us. Disney's made live-action reboots of so many of its classic cartoons. There's Aladdin, Sleeping Beauty, The Little Mermaid. So it was only a matter of time for the two Disney cartoons that tell stories from the Pacific, Moana and Lilo and Stitch. Well, they haven't cast Moana yet, and I can't wait to see who plays her. But Hawaiian and other Polynesian women who grew up seeing themselves in Lilo and her big sister Nani were really disappointed when they saw who'd play their real-life Nani. I think it was like the most dramatic way to find out as well, because the announcement had the photo of Sydney side-to-side with our cartoon Nani. And when I first saw it, I was like, I thought it was a rumour, I thought it was a lie. But once I realised it was legit, I was I was outraged, I was confused, and I was like, this is not my nanny. I just felt kind of uh, cheated in a sense, because I felt like the casting directors had decided to hide the brown woman that we had all known and seen on screen. Suwana Falahola Aleva is talking about Sydney Agudong, the Hawaiian-based actress cast in the role as Lilo's big sister. And I want to be clear here, we're not coming for Sydney or her heritage, but a lot of Pacific Islanders shared Suwana's reaction to the casting because Sydney just doesn't look like the 2002 cartoon version of Nani. When I was growing up, I didn't have a movie like Lilo and Stitch. There wasn't anything as mainstream as that telling stories about people like my family. But in 2016, there was Moana. And I still remember when I took my teenage daughter and my son, plus their cousins, to see it on the big screen. Listening to the music, brand new yet so familiar to me as a Samoan and hearing it play over the famous Disney logo, well, we were in tears before the movie even started. That's how Sawana felt about the original Nani. You could see the distinct brown features on Nani as a character compared to even other Disney princesses. Like you see dark skin, you see a realistic body um, shape that a lot of us Pacific women relate to. And it's not also her features, but who she as a brown girl represented. She faced the real issues that we did growing up, being strong, being an older sister. And I think for us, it just meant a lot because we felt seen. Sawana wanted that for the next generation of Polynesian girls, which is why Sydney Agudong's casting is so complicated. Sydney isn't white, but she's light-skinned like me and is just as thin as most other actors in Hollywood. I got a lot of comments from Pacific women just saying, like, she was always my fave because she was relatable. And the casting rewrites that relatability the safe space and person we see in Nani's character and also the realistic body proportions. We big girls are curvy, okay? (laughs) We're curvy, we like to eat, we go to our feeds, we have stomach pudges and that's who Nani represented for us and who we thought we were going to see on screen. Sawana, who hosts New FM's night show in Aotearoa, New Zealand, posted a very short, pretty funny TikTok about the casting announcement. All she said was, no hate to her, she's stunning, but Nani could have been a better pick. 
I was just saying, like, I wanted to see someone that could be the face of the real issues that not even just brown women, but if you look at the native Hawaiians, they had that history of America illegally overthrowing them. And their queen, um, Lilio Kalani, she was that graceful queen. I was saying Disney had a chance to choose someone that could have represented the voices of native Hawaiian women. And now it's being ignored. And to have more than 2 million views, were you surprised at that? Yeah, I was. It opened up Pandora's box. It honestly, not only was it brown women in the comment section, we had even uh, some French people tagging me and stuff. We had uh, Mexicans tagging me. We had African-American also speaking on the issues of minorities as well. So it opened up a big conversation about representation and colorism. And if the new movie of Ariel has come out, yeah, a lot of people were like, well, it's no different than the Mermaid, Little Mermaid casting. And I, I absolutely hear everyone's comments, but I honestly think the Little Mermaid casting is exactly what happened when Lilo and Stitch came out. It does for African-American little girls what Lilo and Stitch did for us brown girls back in 2002. We saw ourselves on the screen. I'm Falayangafulu Inga Stunsner, filling in for Hilda Wayne, and I've been thinking a lot lately about colorism and my own poly privilege. Casting a light-skinned woman to play a brown character in a Disney movie is one version of colorism, but in the Pacific, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Polynesian voices have managed to find their way to the mainstream, but has that been at the expense of people from Melanesian and Micronesian regions? Surely there's space for all of us to represent and tell our stories. So sisters, let's talk about colorism in film and in the Pacific. When I decided I wanted to talk about this issue, there was one woman who came to mind. Wendy Moke is best described as a Papua New Guinean interdisciplinary storyteller. She's an actor and a writer who you might have seen in Neighbours or In the Code or In Our Blood. I did a lot of acting as a child, but more sort of community theatre, school theatre, then decided after I had my daughter that I would uh, audition for NIDA. I want to speak to Wendy about so much more than the Lilo and Stitch casting, but for this conversation about colorism, it's a good place to start. My take on that is it's a nuanced conversation to have. I'll speak directly to the casting of Nani because that obviously caused a lot of controversy. There was a lot of uh, outcry from the community, and justifiably so, because of the fact that that film, the character of Nani is a dark-skinned, young, native Hawaiian woman. And those two things, uh, that character's dark skin and her indigeneity is actually part of the story. And so it was important to see that reflected in the actor that would be cast. And unfortunately, Disney didn't do that. They cast someone that was, I think, of mixed heritage, but also uh, light skin. And so, and that speaks to a larger problem that Hollywood and the broader entertainment industry have uh, with colorism. And so there's on that level. And then you also have the level that is that a lot of these people that make these decisions 
aren't informed, nor do they employ uh, the people that are able to, I guess, help and assist them with that. And those are like your cultural experts that you would bring in to be able to guide those decisions to make sure that they get it right. And so I think like it's a multi-pronged approach when, it, when we have these conversations about the casting and who gets what and what's reflected in, in, in what we see on television or on stage or in our books. So really you're saying like it just comes from the top there's got to be change at the top in yeah. order for that to trickle down. 100%. Yeah, I think it's a structural problem in, in being that a lot of the times the people that are making those decisions aren't from that community. So they don't know that this character is important to a particular group of people that are, are underrepresented. And so how amazing would it have been if they got an actor from Hawaii that is dark skinned? That is so important, particularly with young people who are like forming their identity and they're building their self-esteem and, fit and feeling and looking for places to connect to. And particularly in the arts, that is, those are the places that we look to to connect and to be able to have these conversations. And so it's really important that we see ourselves when we watch Lilo and Stitch, when we watch Moana, when we watch all these other big blockbuster films that uh, get rolled out by these like massive production companies that say that's about us, but not really about us. And I'm really grateful that we're, we're in a time now that we're, we're able to talk about it because for a long time, we didn't have a say at the table. Mm. Wendy, with this conversation, because we've got those two really huge movies, Lilo and Stitch and Moana, but the representation is very much looking at one particular part of the Pacific, and that is Polynesia. You know, and I recognise that we are using colonial terms yes. of Polynesia. Yep. So... No part of this conversation with the movies has included women or people from Melanesia or Micronesia. Mm-hmm. So as a proud Papua New Guinean woman and you've got a young daughter, how does that impact you? And particularly as a, you know, a trained actor, this is, the, this is your realm. Yeah, that's why I'm really passionate about being able to create and do things that young people can identify with because it's... To see that reflected, I remember the first time I decided that I was going to be an actor, I was 12 years old. And I watched this film, this Australian film called Radiance. And it had a young Deborah Mailman, Rachel Mazza, and it was originally based on a play. Uh, and it was about these three Indigenous women. And it was... Uh, I mean, it definitely wasn't child appropriate at that time that I watched it. But I remember watching it for the first time and feeling like, oh, there's someone that is close to me. It's not exactly because I was 12 living in in Medang and my, my, in my parents' home, watching it and knowing that in some way I could connect to them more than other stuff that I'd seen on television that from the American canon. And because just knowing that they were close to me. And it was then that I decided at the age of 12, and I'd never verbalized it, but inside me, I, I had told myself, oh, no, that's what I want to do. I want to do what those women are doing. And so they were really instrumental to me in, in kind of figuring out who and what I wanted to be. And so a lot of my stories is about, is about finding a way that particularly Melanesians can connect, particularly Melanesian women. My goal is always to reimagine a future in which Melanesians are not on the fringes but are in the mainstream and we are the heart of the story and we define how we define ourselves, nobody else. And so I 
um, hell-bent on carving out spaces, particularly for Melanesians and Micronesians, because a lot of the times we're made invisible in the larger Pacific conversations. You know, with people, your work, and there are other people doing very similar things, you know, like... You know, a lot of the movies where there is a Melanesian voice, it is all from the grassroots. How do you get that into the, the mainstream? That is a really a good question, a tough question, one that is a constant battle because it, it feels like a lot of times you're trying to prove yourself to a system or a structure that doesn't really recognise you as being part of it. And so... A lot of work is being done, has been done. We continue to do it to to be able to not necessarily have a seat at the table, but to also like take apart that table and try to build a new one for ourselves. And whilst there is pressure and focus in wanting to be a part of that, there, there is also a lot of talk about celebrating the fact that we can create our own spaces and we can bring our people to it because some of those places that we've been wanting to go aren't for us. And so I continue to create and to celebrate and to collaborate with other Pacific Islanders, other black uh, women, other Melanesian women, and knowing that it may not necessarily fit the mainstream, but whoever it's meant to be for will find its way to them. Wendy, have you found that there has been more of a change, particularly amongst Polynesians, now recognising that this is an issue, that it is time that we recognise that we've been guilty of eradicating, you know, like not making any space. But I've noticed on social media, there are more Polynesian. Is that something that you've noticed? Yeah, definitely. definitely. And most, and I have to admit, probably very recently, there there was a while there where it was particularly, I felt, silence from our Polynesian family. And now we're seeing a lot of uh, Polynesian people, whether it's on TikTok, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Instagram, come out and hold themselves accountable. And that, to me, is solidarity. That, to me, tells a lot of us who have been navigating and, uh, I guess, shaking that it tells me that that work is reaching if we have our Polynesian family come to the table and hold each other accountable and be able to say, we need to make space for our Melanesian family and our Micronesian family because oftentimes we we do get left out. And I think it's a really amazing thing to see, to know that we can can all kind of come to the table on that. And I think a lot of the times there has been division amongst the islands. And I, yeah, I'm not a, not particularly a fan of sort of using colonial terms to identify ourselves. But also, I think it's like, it's also kind of, I wouldn't say necessary, but it's also a way to also kind of then change that, change that, but also bring us together and know that we are one family, but also celebrate the, the cultural differences that lie because we are a diverse, uh, diverse people. When I tried to think of mainstream movies or TV shows that focus on Melanesian characters, one recent success did come to mind, the TV series Black Snow. It's about a murder in the North Queensland town and it centres on a South Sea Islander family. Well, I've never seen anything like it. It's a prestige crime drama, but it shines a light on blackbirding and the darker side of modern-day Pacific farm labour. 
Talia Blackman Kaora plays Isabel Baker, the teenage victim in this murder mystery. It's about time, basically, that we're being shown our story is being told. Like, I never grew up seeing that, so especially from my South Seattle background, we weren't represented or talked about. And I remember in high school, I would tell my peers, like, what I mean when I say I'm South Seattle and what the history of that and the blackbirding is, and then it was never educated or told in schools. It's Talia's first role on the screen, and it's certainly a big one. The whole story centres on her character. Like, if I was back, like, in primary school and I saw Isabel Baker on the screen, she'd be, like, my superhero. Like, just seeing another familiar face on screen would mean so much. But I went to Mackay just last weekend, and I was just kind of just, like, blown away a bit by, like, how many young South Seattle girls looked up to me like they were all running up to me like at the football game or wherever I was asking like talking it just felt like I was like oh wow (laughs) but it felt so like weird but also like good to know that they can see someone who looks like them on screen and know that they're capable they can follow their dreams or goals and they yeah I think it's good that they can grow up in a time where they're represented having black snow has been really important for our people and seeing that representation on the screen and I think everyone I think really when I when it came out and it was released and I kind of I got told not to read the comments and read everything but I couldn't help myself and I read it and I think that it also shows that there's still very much ignorance around this that space and around a lot of people don't know about Melanesia and particularly South Islanders and blackbirding and I think yeah it's really important that we keep pushing our stories and keep talking. Talia knows you have to see it to be it. So if she could be part of a long overdue Melanesian story for Disney, what kind of story would she tell? Oh, well, that would be really cool like, for Disney. I would like to tell, I'm kind of writing right now, but we're not talking about that one just yet. But Listen up, Disney. <laughs> no, I think definitely like something with a strong female lead because I just like when I, like I said, when I was in Mackay, seeing all these younger girls and just seeing their eyes beam. Yeah, I think they would just love to see a strong female Melanesian lead, something that is still connected to the islands and that would show their connection to the islands and the water because that's something that we've been kind of somewhat disconnected because of history. So just showing them that part of their culture and, and kind of instilling inside them that they're still connected because there's been kind of a lost identity because of the whole blackbirding and everything, but something that strengthens that side of their culture. So something written, maybe like a superhero, something cool like that would be pretty cool. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. Wendy Moke has praise and respect for Talia and the South Sea Islander creators and consultants who worked on Black Snow, but she also knows that progress shouldn't stop at the first step. I think it is a step. I think it's a little sidestep in that I wish that there were actual South Sea Islanders writers involved in that project because I know the creator is not South Sea Islander. 
the creator of that show, of that series. But I know that they were, they engaged community. And so they were like guided by elders. They were guided by cultural experts. And it was very, they were very much a part of that process, which is, you know, I don't necessarily feel I need to congratulate them for doing what they should be doing. And that just needs to be the standard. And I would say, whilst that show did well and it, and it was a great opportunity to be able to highlight Australia's colonial history, specifically with blackbirding. It was also, I think that conversation can be held. And then I think at the same time, I would also like to see South Sea Islanders be given their own show. And when I say given their own show, I mean South Sea Islanders, uh, directors, writers at the helm doing this from the bottom up. And I guess it comes back to what you said right at the beginning. It's the structures that we're working within and particularly in Australia. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, I think what we've all come to realise and understand is that a lot of these uh, uh, white supremacy, systemic racism is about dismantling a lot of the structures that have been in place. And so, yeah, so... And not to, not to, I'm sorry, I feel like I might have, I might have come for the Black Snow team. It's not a, no disrespect to, to the, to the team there because they, they did a great job and it was a successful show. And I know creatives that worked on that show and they did a wonderful job. I'm, I think my, my sort of, uh, I guess what I would like to see is, is to have more of us making those shots and those calls about, who and how we write ourselves and portray ourselves. Just in terms of like the work that you're doing and other people are doing, what are some of the projects? So for anyone who's listening across the Pacific and thinking, oh my goodness, you know, what hope is that? What are some of the, the projects and the opportunities that are happening at the that you're doing and oh, others gosh. working in the space. Yeah, I think, oh gosh, for those who are listening, like young creatives uh, across the Pacific Islands, it's an interesting, exciting, invigorating time for us because more of us are flooding the markets where we're busting down doors. We're using different platforms, whether it's Instagram, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook. We're really kind of carving out those spaces. And I think a lot more could be done in connecting us all together and knowing that when we work together, we can make greater steps together. And so I would say, don't be disheartened. There's a lot of us out there that are wanting to, to really create stories, make films, write stage plays where we are the centre. We're no longer looking from the outside in, but we are the heart of everything. And so I would say keep an eye out, keep an eye out for us. And uh, I've, at the moment, I'm working on, I'm a fellow at Queensland Theatre Company working on a play called I Am Kegu, and it's a full Papua New Guinean play set in Papua New Guinea with a large cast. And so my dream would just have a stage just of Papua New Guinean actors, just speaking in our language, in the village, and being not necessarily supporting actors, but also not really commenting on and around whiteness, but just as ourselves, just as, and I think that's, that's the issue is that when, when we have other people that are not from where we're from, they don't write, write us as nuanced and complicated humans. 
we're often stereotyped and these like one dimensional characters that are like fetishized and that can be quite dangerous to the way that we see ourselves. But when we do it, it's more real and grounded in ourselves and we get to celebrate that, whether it's complicated, whether it's joyful, whether it's heartbreaking, whether it's whether it angers us, it's the human range and that's what we that's who we are. We're we're humans. And so I think that's really important is that I always try to do that. I, in all my stories, I try to humanize us as much as we can because a lot of times that wasn't done for us or with us. So you've got, I think you said, a 13-year-old daughter. I do. And yeah, 13 going on to 31 <laughs> at this point. <laughs> oh, God, yes, I remember those years. <laughs> but for your daughter, she'd see your work and the work with people within this the whole arts industry how is it for her to see her mum doing this and to see that there there is a place? Yeah, it's, I mean, I guess a lot of working parents can relate to it. You think, you go into it thinking you're doing the best f- for your kids and then it's sometimes you feel like you were a terrible parent because you're taking time away from them. And it's like all the trials and tribulations of, of, being, of being a working parent. But I think she's in her own way, proud and also and I think a credit to her that she's such a, a well adjusted and, and and wonderful human I'm obsessed with her she's just the love of my life and I think she understands that like what we're doing and when I say we as Pacific Islander artists is really important for the culture and she's really grounded in her culture she can speak her language and I'm really proud of the fact that's probably the most I mean aside from I just think she's like just the bee's knees one of the the, the main one of the I guess big things that I'm proud of her is that the fact that she's still very much grounded in her uh cultural identity and can speak her language because I think that's really, really, really important. And I, we often have conversations about how important it is to maintain that sense of like belonging, like you belong to a tribe, you belong to a village, you belong to a country and never losing that. And so, yeah, she's, she's excited in her own way when she sees me. She, she does think that her mom's really uncool. <laughs> And she thinks I'm a little bit of a weirdo, uh, particularly if she has to watch me perform on stage. Any, She's just over it. But I think deep down, she'll one day, maybe when she's like 25, she'll be like, yeah, I think my, my mom's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> Her mom is cool. That's Papua New Guinean actor and writer, Wendy Moke. Sawana Falaholo-Aleva hopes to see more Pacific stories at the movies, but she also wants us to get behind the storytellers, no matter how big or small their stage. I know there's many dance festivals here in New Zealand, even in Australia, that represent uh, Melanesian dancers, Melanesian storytellers. So it's just bringing that to light. Um, These are the real people with cultural knowledge. How do we, the same support, the same, what, $16 to $21 we give to a Disney movie Why can't we show it to these little festivals where their heart and soul and life work has been put in and just, you know, give them the same clout that we do on TikTok, on YouTube. Um, Another thing I believe is just, just more storytelling. This has a lot of people in the comment section and to other blogs and platforms are like, well, why don't you just make your own movie? And like in my heart, I'm like, yeah, why don't we? Okay, if, if no one's going to represent us, why don't we write it ourselves? We have the manpower, there's social media, 
why don't we just be brave and keep using our voices to speak up and and rewrite for ourselves. Hear, hear. And I think that there are so many Pacific writers out there with great stories to tell. So let's hope we can start seeing more of them in the mainstream. Thanks to my guests today, Sawana Falahola-Leva, Talia Blackman-Korora, and Wendy Moke. Black Snow isn't available yet in the Pacific, but in Australia, it's on the streaming platform Stan. Thank you so much for joining me, Falayanga Fulu Inga Stunsner, for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia, a weekly show by Pacific Islands women for Pacific Islands women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of the show, catch up on our podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your favourite podcasts. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Pacific Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That's S-I-S-T-A-S at abc.net.au. Sisters Let's Talk is presented by Hilda Wayne. Our producer is Alice Matthews. Supervising producer is Kim Lester. And I'm Falianga Fuluinga Stunsner, the show's executive producer. Sisters Let's Talk is recorded and produced on Wurundjeri, Dharambal, Jagara, Turrambal, Ngunnawal and Ngambri country. And we pay our respects to elders past and present. 